This is deep dish, right? Yeah, well, let's get deep. So, so I'm, I'm going deep on both sides. Senator Yarborough, welcome to the platform. How you doing? Glad to be here. I'm glad to have you here. Um, crazy four months that you just went through. This, 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 your first thoughts <laughs> being in this session. So I just finished my ninth year in the Tennessee legislature, and this last four months has been the absolute hardest and most disappointing. Mm. Uh, it's been sort of riddled with extremism and focused on sort of cultural wars from beginning to end and really failing to do, respond to, you know, this moral challenge mm -hmm. that I think presented itself to our community so starkly with the Covenant school shooting. And not only did we not do anything good out of that, we instead made a national embarrassment of ourselves in the legislature. And I thought, I think it was, um, it was just, it was a hard few months. As you reflect on that experience, these last 12 months, how do you correlate that and go up to now running for mayor? And, and what has all this happened and transpired? What that may mean or may not mean for Nashville is in the role that the mayor plays into that. Well, look, I think what I have always tried to do in the Senate is try to lead people towards common ground to bring people together to work on real problems. And we're living in a time when all the like, sort of national media and so too much of our legislature is just driven by what's the culture war we're going to fight this week? What's the culture war we're going to fight that week? But while that's happening in real life, people are getting priced out of their homes. People getting and losing children to gun violence. People aren't getting the opportunities to, you know, for education and job opportunities to actually make the kind of life that they want to make. And I am so excited about the prospect of being in, uh, leading the city as mayor to try to actually bring together people, focus on the real issues and, and get work done for the city. Um, how pivotal will be whoever the next mayor is, um, the U.S. the potential next mayor, how pivotal will that mayoral state relationship be? And how does your role as senator now play a part of that? Whether does it help, does it hurt? Oh, well, I think it, it, it no question helps. Look, this is not a business as usual mayor's election. We do not live in the time when Mayor Carl Dean could go down the street and have lunch with Governor Bill Haslam and the relationship between the state and the city was on track. I mean, if you look at just look what they did this year, they tried to cut the council in half. They took over control of the Air Force. They took a minority control, you know, control in the sports authority. They limited what we did on the convention center funding. They gutted our community oversight board. And that's just the things they passed. They talked about doing even more. And so I think the next mayor is going to have to navigate a really complicated relationship, which is what I've been doing for the last nine years, playing defense and offense for the city. Uh, and there's times that you've got to know when the city's values and its people are on the line. Mm -hmm. Those are moments that the next mayor's got to be willing to stand up to the state government and fight when that's the case. And I think that Nashville has seen me do this work and can trust that's exactly what I'll do. But I think that on the other side of that, the next mayor of Nashville isn't going to succeed if they don't find ways to partner with the state whenever and wherever possible. Because if you're talking about education, you're talking about housing, you're talking about economic development, transportation, it doesn't matter. The state is a partner that we would like and an obstacle that we should avoid uh, in all of that. And I think the next mayor is going to be Need, need to work with department heads and committee chairs and legislators and not starting from scratch in that environment is a huge advantage because I think they want respect that if I'm fighting that fight, they know that I'm serious about it and that I'll fight 
but they also know that if they want a serious partner to solve problems together, that uh, that I'm that partner. And I mean, I've worked to reform DCS with you know in a bipartisan way over the last nine years. I've passed some eighty pieces of legislation that are all bipartisan that still make real differences. So I've learned how to navigate that space. And I think the next governor, the next mayor is going to absolutely have to be able to work with the governor and the legislature to do that. What is on the line if we don't get the right mayor um, to leave Nashville in the next four, potentially eight years, almost a decade, right? Um, in Nashville. Oh, I mean, I think that's a great question. I think the city is really at an inflection point, right? Over the last, in September, we were going to elect our fifth mayor in uh, nine years. And it feels like we're going to be electing our fifth mayor in nine years. I don't think we've had really a collective sense of direction for the city. And we got some real problems out there. And I think that if you don't have someone that's going to build back trust in Metro. If you don't have somebody who's going to try to make sure that our growth is, isn't happening to us, but it's happening for us, then I think it's going to, we, we're going to be in a bad track and it's going to be hard to, 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 to make the recovery that we need. Why now for you, um, run for mayor, you know, been in the Senate, uh, in the Senate legislative for a while. You can probably just still continue to do that. Voters know you, um, you've done the work. Um, why do you feel like at this point in your, your career, um, running for mayor is something that you feel you want to do, need to do, and Nashville needs you as our next mayor? Well, you know, working with the last four mayors over the last nine years, I know the difference between when the coalition of this city is built and when it's not. And when the political leadership, civic leadership, business leadership, and people of this community are all on the same page, rowing the same direction, the city's unstoppable. Right. And we can get things we can get things done at the state, we can get things done locally. Right. But when we're divided as a city or when we're just not on the same the same same page right. i think we really can get picked apart and i think that part of the challenge that we're dealing with right now is like folks ain't come together right. to deal with the challenges of this moment and the when you're one of six democrats and a 33 member legislature your job is about building coalitions right and when you represent one of the most diverse districts in the state of Tennessee, your job is to build coalitions. And I, I think that the work of bringing this city together to solve problems right now is perhaps the most important work ahead. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to get straight to this on this. What makes you, what makes you, what makes you more qualified than all the hundred other <laughs> people that are running with mayor right now? I mean, we might, <laughs> no telling how many people yeah, are going to be in before it's all over. But look, I think that this is a job that requires knowing what political leadership is. Okay. There's sometimes that you got to make real hard choices. And the virtue that everybody ought to look for in all their politicians right now is courage. Like it's one thing to be kind. It's one thing to be, have good plans. But if you don't have the courage to stand up for those, when things get hard, then it doesn't matter of how good your ideas or how kind you your intentions were. Right. And I think that people can at least trust having seen me do this work mm-hmm. that they know what my baseline values are. Right. They know that I'm going to listen mm-hmm. and try to bring people together and actually solve problems. And I think that being able to build trust right now in the city is a vital piece of business. I've also been or up close and personal with the state city relationship for the last nine years and have helped oversee uh, you know, a $50 billion budget at the state and try to make those processes work better, try to reform the way we do government contracts. And so I have deep experience on all of our issues from housing to transit to economic development uh, and a unique perspective when it comes to dealing with this new challenge that frankly 
no other hairs really had to grapple with before, which is how do we deal with managing our city in a much more complicated environment with the state government. If me and you was on the elevator, right? Say we just going to the fifth floor. The floor that we on now, we got maybe 30 seconds, maybe a minute if somebody else is getting off on the floor, right? And I'm a Nashvilleian, and maybe I, I knew who you were, um, and I knew the mayoral election, but I didn't really, you know, I, you know, I'm going, who face do I see right. those, right? And, um, and I asked you, right, we got 30 seconds to a minute. I said, Hey, you know, I don't know really what's going on in the city, but why, why should I vote for you? Well, what, what, why, what would be that pitch? What would be that elevator pitch? Um, uh, on why if you, you know, it's a lot of new Nashvilleans. A lot of people are uninformed and they just live in their best life here. And, but they're going to be potential voters. Um, what would, what would that, that, that line two, three statements be? I mean, look, I think the city's got to get its swagger back. <laughs> right? I mean, I, most cities in America would trade to have our sets problems. Right. But what's new and the, the thing that disturbs me the most about where Nashville is right now is we've gotten this sense that we're not up to solving them. Mm. And I think that look, we're not the first city to deal with homelessness. We're not the first city to deal with traffic. Right. But what we can't do as a city is feel like these problems are too big for us. Mm. But what that means is you've got to have leadership that's comfortable and it's going to actually bring people together, sit around table, and get things done. I believe that the most powerful weapon in the mayor's arsenal is the conference room table, where you genuinely bring in stakeholders from around the city and make sure that you're that when you're making decisions, you're not making decisions that change people's neighborhoods forever without their voices being represented. Right. Yeah. I think that's important to highlight for those who are watching and listening about like. The, like the the corridor that the mayor's office is right connecting grassroots organizations private public all of these kind of like entities of people that do work and the mayor's office is supposed to use those resources to help to make the city better that's right right um i want to go you, you you keep mentioning solving problems right we have a lot of problems and challenges um in our city right now um what I like to do first is I like for you to highlight kind of those challenges that, you know, they stick out most to you and we really kind of unpack those sure. uh, one by one um, and really kind of go into that vision, right? Of what Nashville would look like um, as you as our mayor, which is, you know, we're a very mayor-led city, top-heavy <laughs> mayor-led city. So it's a crucial role to understand what that means in that vision uh, as you as a potential mayor. Yeah. Well, being able to afford a home in a neighborhood you love that's near schools you trust Mm -hmm. shouldn't feel like winning the lottery okay right yeah i think everybody wants to be able to afford a home in a safe place that has some sense of community i think people want to be able to uh feel like they their kids are going to get the best shot at, at education mm-hmm. and i think they want to be able to move around their city without having to get a tire change yeah. or use your gps every 10 minutes i think it's really about insisting that the quality of life of nashvilleians doesn't get sacrificed in order to grow and develop so we, so we're talking about that housing a lot of a lot of the questions is how do we how do we pay for that right we need 30 50,000 units. So where Masa Minos, who knows, uh, when it comes to just putting a Band-Aid on the crisis or like being able to find affordable housing. And if I understand right, affordable right now is like 900 and some a month. That's a, that's that's affordable. Right. It's crazy. Um, how do you tackle that um, from a, just a funding standpoint and being able to, one, you know, we have to, to build these things, right? And these things take time. It costs more money over time. How do we tackle that? Or what's your vision to, to, to at least help be transparent for Nashville and to understand, like, yeah. this is the issue and this is how I would plan to solve it. If like, <laughs> so let me let me answer that in two ways. So yeah. first, I think, I mean, I passed the first legislation to let Metro invest money in affordable housing, mm-hmm. to actually appropriate dollars into the Barnes Fund. Yeah. Uh, I actually tried to sponsor legislation this year so that the taxes we collect on our like Airbnbs and 
rentals, yeah. those short-term rentals, so that, that money doesn't go into promoting tourism, but goes into affordable housing because that's the problem that it's helping drive, right? right? Uh, and so I think a lot of it is about how you do leverage those dollars. But you get those dollars, look, I think looking for those new sources like the, uh, like what I said, like trying to get some of the short-term rental dollars into that space, or whether it's the, you know, some of the fees that come along with, uh, with developing new property. Right. But I also think that too many people think about affordable housing as what's the government going to build? Right. What we got to do is make it a downhill task mm. to build a f housing that's affordable and accessible across lots of income levels. I mean, you mentioned like $900 is affordable. But like, it doesn't matter what income level you're at, the right. number of accessible housing options aren't enough. Right. And you can't have a great city when your cops and firefighters and teachers can't afford to live here. Right. You can't have a great city when someone who wants to downsize from a house mm -hmm. to a 800 square foot condo can't afford to do it. Right. Or can't figure out a way to make the get a cash offer in hand to make that happen. Right. And so I think we gotta create a lot more uh, you know, affordable housing is not one of these like silver bullet, like, mm -hmm. you know, one's policy that fixes it all. Right. It is a block by block, neighborhood by neighborhood, day by day kind of thing. You got to make zoning easier, permitting easier. One of the things I did in the legislature this year is pass legislation to speed up the codes inspection process. Yeah. And that may sound small, yeah. but like when you got six codes inspectors, each with 300, you know, dealing with several hundred, right. uh, you know, codes, you know, places to inspect, you, you build in delay, which means that there's more construction going on in your neighborhood for longer. And it means when you ultimately start buying or renting that house that you've got to finance, got to pay more. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so we got to find all those different ways that we're driving that cost down so that there's more abundant housing right. so that people can afford it. What I heard in that too is mobility, right? Being able to get around and not being in traffic and so it comes to the 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 one of the the billion dollar questions is that transit right yeah um are you in support of something like dedicated funding you know we had a referendum that failed in 2018 um is dedicated funding something you support i do support dedicated funding uh so i was on the board of the mta okay before now we go yeah. before i was in the senate i was actually chaired the that board when we hired the current director and one of the first things I did in office was sit with Bill Haslam when he was working on the Improve Act, mm -hmm. which is where we got the legislative authorization to do dedicated funding in the first place. Exactly. So I'm very much in support of moving our city towards that point. I have two things. One, I think when people don't trust you to fill potholes, it's hard for them to trust you to start to build a, you know, transit, put a billion dollars into mass transit. Yeah. And I think we've got to be more responsive to people's everyday transportation needs right now. But also my philosophy on this is, you know, we had, Mayor Dean had his AMP proposal, Mayor Barry had the, and, and Bradley had the proposal that was, that was put up for an election and defeated. The Coopers had his own plan. At a certain level, when you're building transit, you got to be building for what's going to get created a decade out. Right. Like, and I think you got to get past thinking about like, I'm going to be the one that, that does the groundbreaking or the ribbon cutting. Right. And we got to get the city on a actual long-term strategy and funding plan. That's going to make sense. Not just for the next eight years when I hope to serve, but for the decade after that. Right. Do you have a sense of pulse, even from the state level of, Nashville being able to have that mass transit that would also well ultimately support the region, right? Well, I, and that this is like a fasting chicken and egg thing that we've been working on for a while. And uh, I mean, I think one of the biggest upsides of coming from the state is that I have worked really closely with mayors and legislators in some of our surrounding areas because it's kind of hard to explain to Nashville like why transit's gonna work if it's not gonna incorporate the people who are coming in from Rutherford County every day. But it's also hard to get folks in Rutherford County to agree to some, you know, to a light rail that's coming up if they can't get around Nashville once they get here. Right. And so I think we got to be building that in tandem with the state mm -hmm. 
And so, I, you know, I think that that corridor between here and Rutherford County is the one that where everyone should be initially focused. I think that also allows you to hit the airport area. Right. And, and it's a place where we've got the right of way to actually build up some rail transit. But I think we're also going to need to prove to people in Nashville that transit works in order to get them to invest the next step. Which is crazy to me. <laughs> it's like, hold on, look around. Like, this is what happens when we don't have it at all. We, you can't get no... Right. It's only going to get worse when we I don't I mean, have what it. we should do on transit, like, the best thing we could do is actually design a time machine and go yeah. back 20 years and build some mass transit, right? Yeah, and, and, and that's what I try to, I guess, help people understand. Like, one, this is going to take 10 to 15 years but we at least have to start with an area, right? If this that Murfreesboro Road, like we got to start with something so people can see, like, hey, this work is efficient. Right, it helps everybody. Now let's build plans around the whole region in order so people within Williamson, Mount Juliet, Rutherford County, Clarksville, all of right. these spaces because people are people. What people are doing, which is kind of doesn't really make sense to me, is okay. You work in Nashville. But because it's too expensive, you don't live in Nashville, but you're going to spend five, six hundred dollars extra a month on gas. Right. And in the Nashville, which could go to potentially a rent or mortgage to live in Nashville. Yeah. But maybe you can't afford the car to live in Nashville if you it, like it's. Well, and I think part of what you, what you got to do is like you, part of the reason the housing is so important is you, you one of the ways you deal with traffic is you don't have everybody doing these trips all the time. Right. People actually want to live here. Right. But, I mean, you got all these people that are moving to town that, like, want to be in a city and raising their families in the right. city. But, like, well, where are you going to go? Right. And certainly where are you going to go if you're not making, right. you know, some ungodly amount of money? Right. Exactly. And so I think we've got to make sure that there's more options so that I mean, there's a lot of people that don't want to have a car. Right. A lot of people at least don't want to have two cars in their yeah. family. And, but we got to make sure that life is possible for that, which means... Right both building walkable neighborhoods and then find those other ways that people are connected to like to places of opportunity and the things they need. Um, I'm going to stay right there on neighborhoods a little bit um, and talk about preservation and change. I know we mm -hmm. talked about house, uh, housing. What comes with that change is gentrification, right? Yeah. Um, and along with mobility and, and sidewalks and things like that. Um, how do we um, preserve the soul of Nashville, get that swag back of Nashville, but also understand like, okay, we're, 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 you know, we're moving forward, we're growing, jobs are coming here, people are moving here from all across the country um, and abroad, but how do we still preserve these historical neighborhoods um, and still pour into them and don't historically neglect them right. uh, like we've been doing uh, for forever? Right. For literally for it. Yeah. And so yeah. how how do we how as as mayor, right? How do you have those and center those conversations to make sure, right, that is on the people's mind when we're when we're growing? Look, I think you have to make it a priority because if anything in the last year fears has told us is it is not gonna happen by itself. Right. Right? I mean you can see neighborhoods in Nashville where there's been almost a hundred percent turnover of neighborhoods. Right. And I think we've got to find those those pathways where growth and economic development is not equivalent to displacement, right. is not equivalent to people who lived in. I mean, there's families that have lived in neighborhoods for generations that like are starting to feel priced out, and mm -hmm. I think we can't let that happen. I think that partially, you one of the ways you do that is like helping people preserve their home, mm -hmm. trying to make sure that especially elderly folks who are facing raising property taxes get some relief um but it's and trying to make sure that you're guarding against those truly predatory home purchasers because uh, i don't think that's it, it is in any way helpful to the community but i also think you're not going to you're not going to stop people trying to come in and 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 badly and and for a lot of people that is their chance to it uh, to live a better life in a way we're not going to stop that either right. but i do think that we got to be committed to having genuinely economically diverse neighborhoods as this is happening right like, like it is not success to see uh i mean the nation is a good example of a place that used to be almost entirely you know uh, 
rental housing and was in, you know, reside in residence for working class and is now almost entirely $800,000 homes. Right. You don't need these neighborhoods to flip so starkly, mm -hmm. right? Like there's nothing wrong. Like most people that are, I mean, I live right like in that sort of area. Like most people that are moving to neighbors like that want to live in economically and racially diverse communities and don't want that sort of, uh, you know, I mean, there's a reason they're not moving to gated communities in the right. suburbs. They want to live in the city and with everything that means, but that that's going to take some real intentional thought about how we build. I want, I want to stay right there a little bit because what you're talking about, like hits on several different things. Uh, we're talking about justification, the turnover of demographic. I mean, especially here in Nashville, we talk about historical black neighborhoods, right? Yeah. Which are predominantly living in inner city, right? Um, and so what, I, what I've noticed, and I wonder how we have this conversation and just help people understand this and just help the, the, the historical residents of these neighborhoods, right? And these schools, too. This is yeah. the case upon it. Because, okay, I went to Pearl Cone High School. I grew up in that area, right? North Nashville, my whole family, White's Creek on there, right? Um, so it looked a certain way all the time. And with that is there's a certain economic, you know, threshold of how, how much money households in that area are making, right? Uh, which you see it in the school system, right? They're funding. Now it's justification, right? But now these homes are $800,000, but you don't see that going into the schools because they're not sending their kids to these mm. schools as well, right? How do we, one, advocate for these newcomers that are going to these neighborhoods and potentially having kids and having families, send your school, send your kids to public schools. How do we, how do we have that conversation of really pouring in into that community yeah. with resources that they now have that historically just wasn't there and historically been neglected by the city? Unpack that. That's, well, a, lot that's of, a lot of yeah, stuff. Yeah, but I think it's a, so. It's, no, no, no. I mean, I love that question. And let's. I want to swing back to the the history part on that. But let's talk first about the schools piece that you mentioned at the end, because I think that really is important. And it's not a simple answer, right? Because at some level, that happens school by school, and neighborhood by neighborhood. And like, there are some examples of places that have kind of seen the, the sort of economic growth and change in neighborhoods, but haven't just been totally displacement in nature. And so, man, I'm trying to think of a good example, like, like work, I mean, like Rosebank Elementary, is it, or more, is it, are right. both good examples where you had, I think, strong principles and you've had a lot of neighborhood commitment as people are from historic neighborhood residents and as people are coming in to trying to make that happen but it's also required a lot of hard conversations right. and i think that you're gonna have to do do some of that i think that it starts with how do you have the zoning set up how do you really think about housing as education policy right. because if you create a bunch of like rich neighborhoods and a bunch of poor neighborhoods then and you build your school zones around it then you're creating a bunch of resource schools and a bunch of under-resourced schools right and i think we got to be way more intentional right. about thinking about how we are trying to build that economic diversity into it as and frankly it's enriching to uh everybody's children to be in that diverse right. situation right? right and but there's still like ways to get adequate resources everywhere you need it. One of the things that I think the mayor's offices do on that resource side too is, you know, teachers need to spend their time being able to teach. And I think the mayor's office needs to be able to sort of align those city services that really aren't about teaching, but that are dealing with all the other stuff that people are bringing to school. Right. Right. Like the, like if you're coming to school hungry, if you're coming to school with, you know, abuse in the family if you're coming to school dealing with whatever challenges you're coming with right. mental health and there's not a school in metro that's not dealing with mental health issues at you know sort of in the aftermath of the pandemic right. but how do we as a city sort of align mm -hmm. those services around our schools that we're hugging, hugging our kids as they go in and letting our teachers do the teaching yeah um that social service part is is really interesting because um, what you're talking about is addressing a lot of things on the front end, right? That need resources, right? 
um, as far as those neighborhoods or those kids that live in neighborhoods that may not have uh, a grocery store or access to healthy food, right? right? Um, how do we get in front of that so they can be, you know, the healthiest minds and bodies to be able to, to be the best thinkers and problem solvers when they go to school? That's kind of hard to do if you don't have access to food or affordable, healthy foods, right? right. Immunities. Um, mobility plays a part in that, too. Um, the other part of that that I really want to get your take on it when you talk about social services and pouring the schools which is a big conversation right now because of the mass shootings that have taken place this night here in Nashville and it's in the uh, nationally and school resource offices, right? In the funding of school resource offices, which, you know, Governor Lee is going to pour all of this money into. I know uh, Chief Drake is probably like, yes, write the check. <laughs> uh, because I know that's something our MNPD and MNPS have that memorandum. Right. Like, hey, we want SRO, SROs uh, in our public schools. Some people feel kind of hesitant about having more police in our middle and high schools, especially those parents that are black or brown. Yep. Um, what are your thoughts on just funding more policing in schools uh, instead of maybe allocating other funds to social emotional learning counselors or therapists to handle some of those social services that are happening in school? So, I, look, I want to say one thing. Like, there are people out there who I, I talked talked to a mom last week who one of the ways that they help convince their three you know third grader to go back into the classroom is they is they told them about the school resource officer so there are people out there that unquestionably it makes them feel feel safer i think if you actually look at the data on school resource officers usually when there's armed guards at a at a school that actually makes the casualties from shooting events go up not down um and when you look at what the potential for over policing in our schools and how that can have massive negative consequences for uh, for students. I think that it's something that when you do it, you need to do it very carefully. And I think it's a, it's a good example of everything that's sort of wrong about the way that Tennessee is approaching these problems. It's like, I mean, I don't know why we're accepting that school shootings are inevitable and like arming schools to be able to deal with them. Why don't we try to prevent these shootings from happening? And then try to, and then, I mean, the bigger issue would to me is like, why aren't you surrounding some of the, the kids like with the counseling, with the social workers, with the, you know, uh, interventions that you actually need to prevent. I mean, lots of your school shootings actually happen because of students in the school, and that's because like you got kids that are slipping through the cracks that aren't feeling loved, that aren't feeling supported. That don't have adults that believe in them, right. and I think you got you. If you take that problem more seriously, you actually reduce violence in our schools, discipline problems in our school far more successfully than you know right. than than through just SROs. SROs are gonna be here though, and I think that it's. I mean, the state has put some restrictions. Is gonna put real incentives on on that, mm -hmm. and I think sort of like it is when we think about policing generally like we've got to work on how do we make sure that that is not that like that those SROs are not there to become right like to be they don't need to be the enforcement side right. of law enforcement if they're if that's the role they're playing like they need to focus in on being the resource not not the not the officer right um what 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 is your your thought on just current policing in Nashville? Um, you know, Chief Drake, I think has he been there, been chief, you two years now, going about two years. Uh, what what is your thoughts, man, on what the city has has done thus far around policing? Um, and you know, as potential mayor, you know that is an appointed position. Um, you have a lot of say so or de say so on um, what that position looks like does what our policing looks like or should be doing in our city. So, I mean, I think a lot about this, and I think it's one of the most important uh, challenges for cities right now. Uh, we, like, I want to start with making sure that you've got trust, transparency, and accountability. And I think as long as you've got those things, I want to see a well-funded, well-compensated, well-trained uh, set of officers. But I think that those things go together. 
because I don't think that you actually have, uh, like, I think if you, you're not actually dealing with public safety if you're not dealing with with trust in that system at the same time. Okay. Uh, and so that's the way I think about that. I have a, a decent relationship with, with Chief Drake, and I, but I think we've got to make sure that, uh, you know, that we are recruiting and training officers that are going to do this work in a way that makes our city proud and every part of our city proud, right. right? I also think that more than that, we got to expand the public safety conversation because it, when you talk about public safety, it's not just police, right? right? Like most of the time, if you see three, three police cars go down your street in, in an hour, that doesn't actually make you feel safe, right? right? And I mean, the, the way I think about it, safety is significantly broader than that. Like I think about when you have street lights that are out in neighborhoods that don't get repaired. Mm-hmm. When do you have blocks that don't have any activity, don't have any pedestrians that sort of are those places that can attract, um, you know, sort of more dangerous activity. Right. How are you actually building community in the first place so that you're trying to be conducive to safety right. and thinking about programs like violence interrupter programs that frankly end up, uh, I think being a really big deal if you're trying to think about safety in a more collective, holistic way. Right. Um, and that goes into mental health too, right? And um, like, I'll tell you, one of the yeah. things that I've learned in being in the legislature is that, you know, I've worked on almost every policy issue you can. And I think people should have to stop thinking about mental health as a discrete policy issue because it's a it's a it's an issue that affects every other issue. Right. You can't think about healthcare. You can't think about education. You can't think about violence. You can't think right. about incarceration. You can't think about homelessness. You can't think about any of the any of those things without having a mental health component right. to the way you're really thinking about it. Well, especially you know, like even from like a criminal legal system standpoint. 30% of our jail population right. have a mental health issue. Davidson County Jail is the largest mental health provider in the state of Tennessee. That's that's should be an embarrassment to right. all of us. Yeah, it's crazy. And and, and, and again, it's like when you, when you think about these services, you know, a lot of people hesitate is like, should the police be involved in every single aspect of these things? Or is there, or should there, or can there be funding for other professionals that focus specifically on these things? The way I talk to people is like, because we got a lot of cops and we got a lot of teachers, we want cops and teachers to solve all the problems. And like, that's, I mean, that's not the, that's not the the work that they necessarily want to do, not the work they're trained to do, not the work that taxpayers are paying them to do. But because that's what we got, we let teachers and and police officers be our mental health first responders right. do they we let all these groups that aren't supposed to you know that you know they're dealing with homelessness more so than those other parts so i think we've got to make sure that we're responding way way more robustly in that you know to having uh you know probably the right people solve the right problems uh, when i when i mentioned the phrase systemic change what does that mean and how does that correlate to you and especially in terms of the mayoral or the mayor's position i love it i love it (laughs) well i mean you know i i I can't help but think about how much we debate we outlaw teaching about systemic check like the barriers change in in the legislature and but we in Nashville cannot be blind to that, right? Like if you, I, I want to talk about sort of at least um, this like systemic racial issues for a second. There has a, it's, when you think about where Nashville's population is located, a lot of it dates back uh, to where populations were located at the end of the Civil War. Right. And then through lots of different processes over time from redlining to where we constructed interstates to where electricity was added to, you know, where schools were built and funded, we have created a lot of systematic injustice. And like, I always tell you, like, you don't believe in structural racism, you at least should believe in infrastructure racism. 
Like you literally can't cross streets mm -hmm. from this part of town to this part of town because we put physical barriers there. Right. And I think that you've got to be intentional and thoughtful about that mm -hmm. every step of the way. I mean, I think if you're going to be dealing with like the new, with new developments, you need to be thinking about how are you connecting communities to one another and how are you respecting, uh, you know, the, the, cha the, the challenges and changes that have, that, that have been, you know, forced upon and halted there. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up as far as new development um, and how that connects to just current communities. Um, one of these new developments that are happening is the Tiger Stadium. Yeah. And the East Bank development in, in particular, as far as development. Um, what are your thoughts on the Tiger Stadium and how does that hurt, harm present communities? Um, or is there opportunity for the city um, to be able to do something uh, with the East Bay development specifically that can enhance and give historically neglected oppor uh, communities opportunities, right? Especially where it would be located, kind of where it connects East Nashville and North Nashville and South and West. Like, it kind of connects like all these parts of Nashville in the city. Um, but if you ask me, and if I look back historically at what ha has happened when these type of developments happen, a lot of times it does not help or benefit black folks or poor folks or brown folks in many yep. cases. Um, and it becomes just another gentrified area that looks good for the, 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 the elite to be able to come and play and shop and have a good time. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And what, what kind of position can the mayor be in to be able to kind of have some power, some say so, some decision making on how that unfolds right so i mean look i think we're council is looking pretty close to confirming this deal right. to uh to build a stadium and i think that there's some logic to that if you just look at the deal itself it doesn't make sense to have parking lots on the east bank of downtown right. and that stadium does not have like three decades left in it under the best of circumstances for, for historical purposes with people who may not know when we signed the deal in 96 and 97 it was a bad deal to begin with yeah <laughs> right like that's right and so i mean like i passed the legislation to help move the funding of this stadium off of nashville taxpayers and on to the people who are coming in as tourists to make sure that that's where the dollars for that come. But you raised the right question, which is exactly the question that I raised with the Titans, both last fall when it was in the legislature and when I've had any conversations during the course of this campaign, which is how do you make sure that that development just doesn't turn into a gentrification engine right. for East and North Nashville? Right. And how do you then also really i mean I'm, and this is a very precise conversation that i have with uh you know sort of some of the team leadership which is how do you make sure that when you're building that close to what we're doing in, with like envision case like how are you making sure that we are connecting this space but not in a way that is that is displacing but that is genuine but but it stays true to the vision that we have and to the the families that have lived in that community. It is welcoming. And I think that that is a place that the the, the mayor has to make a priority mm -hmm. and has to leverage the way that you in, invest infrastructure on ensuring that the development is going to, as much as possible, support that. Now, I mean, look, I, there's a level at which, like, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend that there's not gonna be some new luxury stuff when you build something like that. There will be, and everybody knows it. Yeah. But I do think that that doesn't mean that you are should be destructive to the community that you're in when you're building and investing um it's still up in the air uh the council could potentially still be cut uh to 20 right right over now, a longer timeline if it happens yes um right now it's still 40. um i'm gonna give you my thoughts and then yeah. i want you to because i think this affects the mayor it, 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 it affects the whole city, especially if you have 20 council members now, like you have to really take who you vote for and your district more, right. I think, more serious. <laughs> um, it can't just be a neighbor that you know, like, oh, okay, yeah, I vote for you. I think it has to be really more serious as one of, if, if it will spread a, a broader district, especially in 20. 
but I think it's also a play on the mayor's power. Yeah. Um, and if you cut that down to 20, it's a little tougher to, to get 11 out of 20 uh, than, you know, 21 out of 40, you know, to kind of maybe vote on a policy or something like that uh, that you would like to move forward with the city. What are your what are your thoughts on that? And even if it's at a longer period, it possibly could still happen during your term um, as potential mayor. So I. So I mean, I actually favor the 40 person council, or at least right now, until convinced otherwise, because I think it is so critical to representation in our city. Like in most places, you have county and city government, and, and so you've got all these different local officials, and so you're likely to be close to someone right. that is, you know, someone who represents you might live close to your neighborhood. Right. If you expand, if you cut Nashville's council down to 15 or 20 districts, you start having every one of those districts would be larger than running for county mayor in most counties. Like you start making all of those races kind of big time races that are real money, that are real politics. And, you know, I mean, I actually think that one of the things that makes the Metro Council strong is that you do have a lot of people who are one because people know them in their neighborhood. Right. And they trust them because they've been in their neighborhood for so long. And they're not because they've figured out how to raise a bunch of money. It's not because they figured out how to run, you know, sort of some high tech at mass outreach campaign. Right. And I think losing that is goes deeper than what the like insider issue around what's happening the, between the mayor and council means. Right. It also just fundamentally ends up making, I think the council less diverse, less representative. And, and so I, you know, one of the reasons that I was opposed to it when it, when it was being discussed at the state level, I think if it happens, I mean, look, I think it's wildly unconstitutional and sort of ran that part of the uh, defense mm-hmm. against the new law that you know has thus far been successful and hopefully will continue to be but if there's going to be a change doing it over four years and doing it with nashville hopefully the driver's seat of that change makes a lot more sense our metro charter is designed around having this large council like the way our council works the way we compensate them the way we staff them the way we think about all those relationships depends on is is sort of premised on that and it's it's just wildly irresponsible not to transition into that. If we end up in a transition to a smaller council, I think one of the fundamental things that both the mayor and the council have to do is to figure out how do people who feel like they're losing voice and losing vote, how do we make sure that they still feel represented in city decisions? Because I think that will be a real challenge and we might need to think about how do you use the sort of modern technologies or in community outreach to make sure that people feel like they're able to get their voice into the system and get their ideas, their concerns, their complaints, you know, addressed in meaningful ways. Because I think we rely on our council people right. to do that. Okay. And if we're not going to, if you're going to double the amount of, you know, complaints per council person, right. you have to figure out some way to do that work. Right. You talk about got to be full time. They need a staff and all of these things. Right. Well, and, and frankly, it wouldn't be bad for the, I mean, I think about this from the mayor's office, part of the way that we should do that job is make sure that we're thinking about getting voice and input and stakeholders bought in all way earlier on decisions. Mm-hmm. And as part of the way we think about governing from beginning to end. Right. Right. And so, I mean, I think if you, I think if you actually were thoughtful about that in the way that you, that the city was governing itself, generally people might not be quite as terrified when they hear they're going to lose their council person. But I mean, I think right now our council people play such an integral role in sort of the lives of communities. I mean, that's the only person who knows what school drop-off is like in our, our school, right? Is, you know, it's not, you can't count on the your state center like right. i mean i'm a state center i know what school travel was like in a lot of my neighborhoods but not oh, over yeah. two hundred thousand people across the county right right and having people that know what those real deal neighborhood problems is is a big deal as we go on through this growth here in nashville you know we have the big businesses you know we know they're gonna be all right um 
but there's a small businesses, right? Um, that we see that through the pandemic, all of these things are still recovering. Um, do you have any thoughts, initiatives on making sure that one small businesses are thriving right here in Nashville as Nashville is growing and there's more economic opportunities for those that can afford it. But those small businesses are what keep things most people are going to support. Um, and even more, even specifically, black owned small businesses that usually are, you know, uh, disenfranchised Mars lines don't get the same amount of funding or opportunities to participate in the op uh, economic growth. Yeah. So, I mean, we have an Office of Economic and Community Development, but oftentimes what that means is like we out recruiting big businesses from elsewhere to bring workers from elsewhere to do work in our city. Right. And I think that that's not actually what we should be thinking about when we think about economic development. It should be about how do we grow our own entrepreneurs? How do we have a sort of the funding from a debt side or venture capital side that we've got sort of the ecosystem that can support mm -hmm. people who are trying to start businesses in the first place. Right. And, and that stuff is very dip can be very difficult to navigate. Right. So the state and federal government invest a lot of dollars into workforce development. If you ask any small business owner right now, what they'll tell you is like finding the workforce that I need that's trained to do what I need. Like it's really hard but they're not even eligible to participate in most of the workforce development initiatives, right? Because all of those partnerships are built on that, on the, in the, in the, with the larger scale companies. And I think that is a, a place that it might actually make sense in the, from a, a mayor's office is to really have individuals who are focused on like sort of an office that's genuinely focused on small businesses being able to access capital being able to access workforce training, workforce development, right. so that we're really investing. And then what you mentioned about, uh, you know, uh, when people start, I think one of the most exciting corridors in the city is Jefferson Street, right? right. Yeah. But like, but when I hear people think about, you know, rebuilding that without thinking about the people who have built businesses there, yeah. it drives me crazy. Like if you're not building around the successful businesses of the community as you're launching yeah. like you're not doing this right right yeah i think too just as we grow as a city right i don't i don't think we grow how we're supposed to do if we're not investing like on this right right i think people will come in and say hold on wait a minute and i think we we stay that diversely segregated city um that people are just in their bubbles and you know really not you know um trying to break bread with one another. They still just they're kind of two different cities with two different types of people or persons or just groups no, of individuals. I think that's right. I think it's look, I think this is one of the big conflicts of the city. I mean I think aspirationally, look, this is a city where Fisk University was founded in eighteen sixty six. Yeah. Like you come into you know yeah. in the middle of right after the war <laughs> we're starting Fisk University. You know, in 1960, when every other city in the region was doubling down on segregation, this city followed Dianash, John Lewis, and like went a different way. Yeah. And we fall short of that promise all the time. Yeah. But if we ever lose sight of the fact that that's the promise that actually our city orients around, I think we've lost who we are. And I, I'm glad you brought it up because there's no way, like when you have all of that historical like reference of like when it comes to social change, like Nashville is at the top of that, right? It is. And I think it's important for new Nashvilleians that are moving here to really understand it and grasp that. Because I don't know if people really understand, like, and you know, and I, I think maybe even with the Tennessee Three and everything that happened at the same yeah. session, maybe more people are aware, like, oh, okay. But like the historical aspects of our city, like it, it, it ain't nothing but social change and, and, and really going against the grain and doing what others are afraid and don't have the courage to do but knowing like no this is how we build equity and systemic change um for everybody because we're all affected by it on different levels right that's right um but this is how you do it um and you know having a mayor that one like speaks that and understands that i think is crucial um, because even though, you know, mayor can't go out there and, and make make laws, right? Right. <laughs> right. But just because we're a mayor-led city, 
being able to just hear that vocalized, right? I think we're just sitting in the souls of so many residents, uh, whether they know or don't know. I think that's right. And look, here's my view on the legislature and the laws part is laws are always a lagging indicator. They always follow the cultural change that happens, right? And like, it's more important that this city, if you want, if you want to have inclusive laws, like 30 years from now, it's more important that cities and communities be inclusive now, right? Like that's the way that we should think about this city. And uh, and so, I mean, I think it is absolutely part and parcel of who we are and who we have always been. Yeah. This has always been a city that is like reform minded, right? Like we were Athens in the South, like back in the day, <laughs> like I, that, and there's a Parthenon and it's like, you know, people always ask why, but it's because this city was ambitious and wanted to be a center of education yeah. then, yeah. right? And you know, I mean, there are other examples, right, where the 19th Amendment for women to get the right to vote everywhere in the country was fought right here. But it's also like the resilience for our people, right? Like people used to make fun of Nashville for being the town of Hee Haw. And we're like, no, like Minnie Pearl and Charlie Pride and Dolly Pargles, people are heroes and treasures. And we're going to like build Music City on top of it, which is now everything from Jack White to the TSU band winning Grammys. And I think that 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 is the kind of city we are and have to be. The mayoral position here in Nashville is a very powerful position. Um, And so I would like you to defy that word power Mm. and what that means to you. Um... People look at power as a good thing. People look at power as a bad thing. But um, I would love to hear your definition of what that just means personally to you. No, you don't have to know Webster or Oxford, but just what that means to you. No, I think what power means is responsibility. Hmm. I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily matter that you're that you mean well when you're mayor. <laughs> like you're responsible for consequences. Yeah. You're responsible for outcomes. And so when you see injustices in your city, when you see problems go unaddressed, like you got to be responsible for those and use that, use whatever power you have in that office to actually address those issues. I mean, I think the, the implementation of power is a very different thing. And I think a lot of people will think through, like, what are you doing in the mayor's office? But, like, at the end of the day, that's a, that's a big part of it. Yeah. A lot of employees work for Metro. Yeah. It's a big budget. But this is a way bigger city than that. Yeah. I mean, if you put all of the Metro budget that was available into housing, you still wouldn't be catching up with half. Right. A, a tiny percentage of the housing that actually gets built in this town. Right? Right. Like there's so much more to the power of this city and power is something that when you actually have coalitions built from the state to the city, to the streets, to the neighborhoods, that's when you've actually got real power to make things happen. Um, I'm glad you brought up budget because this is, I, I wanted to get in this and I always kind of end telling off with budget. Uh, yeah, because because the one I do I do because creating that budget for the city is probably, if not the number one job, has to be in the top two jobs of our Nashville mayor. Right. right. Um, it's a year long process, um, and then you know people are really not worried about it until it comes pretty much to the end. Right. <laughs> What's going to the budget, and you know it's only so many resources, only so many things that can be funded. Um, I think we have maybe like a three billion, almost three billion dollar yeah. uh, budget here in Nashville. Um, what are your thoughts on being able to work with the budget that we have here in Nashville? Uh, many people believe that we don't have any, but we can't do anything, right? We can't plan too much. But every year, you know, police, public safety, police gets this, education get this. Has been some historical giving um, in the last year, last during the current administration and things right. like that. Um, so I always like to give listeners and viewers some type of insight on budget and how our potential next mayor uh, also views our budget and, and working with what we have to create right. the change right, I, that we need. I mean, 
all budgets are moral documents to a certain extent. Yeah. And like they show a lot about what you're going to be committed to. Mm-hmm. I think that, uh, I think the single biggest line item is ex- what the b- single biggest line item should be, which is our K through 12 education system. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you, you do not have a great city, if you do not have great schools, and I think that you ought to be able to have, to trust that you've got schools that will give your kids the best opportunity, regardless of where you live in this county. Right. And so I think that that means making sure that the resources that are available for those schools are not what's holding us back. Yeah. Right. So, like, I think that, that starts. That's fundamental. I, I think that you also have to think about safety. Because, again, if if you don't have a safe city, you don't, oftentimes, you don't keep your city. Right. And I think that that can get misread, and I tried to talk about that earlier. I think that you got to think about big about what safety means. Mm-hmm. And the fact that people are, that we're seeing pedestrian deaths double, then double again over a you know, seven, eight-year period, that does not make me feel safe. Right. It does not make the fact that people have to wait for the bus on you know, the side of the, you know, the edge of the shoulder, like feeling like they're in a ditch, that does not make people feel safe. Mm -hmm. But that also then goes to like where you got mental health, how you're cutting down on illegal guns and gun thefts in your community. And then it, then obviously it goes to policing as well, because we're under like the number of officers we have is lower right now than like the intent. And like, there's just some times that there, I mean, I've talked to people all the time that, you know, feel like, they had they had somebody break in their car. They can't get the police to respond to things like that. And so you 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 know I think we all are aware of the challenges in that for that, but we got to deal with the other. Uh, the other piece that we've got to prioritize from a budgeting standpoint is getting our our heads around growth and infrastructure, because the growth and development of businesses and restaurants and tourist spots and all these things is going up at this exponential level. Right. But the growth of our sidewalks and roadways and transit and infrastructure and services is growing at a much, you know, lower rate. Yeah. I mean, like, we'll get our sidewalks finished in 250 years. Like, that's <laughs> not good enough, right? We gotta, we're gonna have to figure out some way to line those things up better and to more effectively leverage the public dollars like when you're putting public dollars into infrastructure and into housing that needs to be leveraged with private dollars with nonprofit dollars Mm -hmm. to get the maximum bang for your buck because nobody wants to see the taxes be soaring in this place and so that means we got to get the most out of the dollars we got Mm -hmm. and protect what we do but we got to focus hard on the priorities you don't want to just kind of do everything okay, right? right? Like some of it, we're going to have to really make some tough decisions. Right. Hard part about being mayor, one of the hardest parts, is you got to say no all the time. Right. Oftentimes to eight ideas that are great, right. you get to say yes to one of them. Yeah. And I think that we got to make sure that your team has got enough input to make that decision well about when you how when and how you're making those priorities. And I, and I think from the community too, we're okay with the no's. We just would like the transparency on like how right. it came to that no. And okay, we can live with that. I think the participatory citizens budget process is going to have that started in, 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 in the city is one of the most important things that's happened and also, it needs to get rolled out even bigger, frankly. Um, like that ought to be like that ought to be like on your app, on your phone, like part of like what you can see. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Jails people, just tell us we got to wrap it up now. <laughs> um, as we close, I'm going to give you um, the time to speak to anything that we maybe didn't touch on. You want to extrapolate something more to the people out there, uh, the potential voters in this next mayoral campaign. And then also, once you read that, let people know where they can go to um, support you. It supports your campaign. Well, first, I mean, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on and talk about these, you know, uh, a lot of bigger issues facing the city. I think fundamentally right now, 
this is an election that's about national's future, just like every election is about the future. But there's a lot of people who want to decide what national's future is going to look like. There's a lot of people in the state capital that want to have a say in what national's future looks like. There's a lot of people who are nothing but hedge fund investors who are trying to extract dollars from Nashville without really investing here, who are trying to dictate some of what Nashville's future is. Yeah. But the future of this city has to be driven by what makes sense for our people and is consistent with our values. Yeah. Um, when it comes to the, the things where the hard decisions have to get made, I think we have to have a clear sense of who we are as a city and what values matter to us. I mean, so occasionally people mention that this, we've lost the soul of the city. I don't buy that. Because when I go, I don't care which part of town I go to, I think the people in Nashville are still doing amazing things. I mean, like communities are still coming together to solve problems in their town. You saw with the Covenant School, like this city came together to support those folks to comfort one another, to help one another, to not say no together. And I think the soul of Nashville is doing just fine. Yeah. But we can't sacrifice that ever. Like the, that part of us that makes us Nashville, we have to hold true to that. And the decisions we make as a government from the disputes that we have with the state to the budget decisions we make to the way in which we grow and develop have to make it a better place to live for all of our folks. Like I, I mean it when I say it shouldn't feel like winning the lottery to live in a home you can afford in a safe neighborhood you love near schools you trust and be able to get from here to there. Right. Like that's the baseline that should exist for everybody in our in our city, regardless of where they're from. And I'm gonna want to ask you for your vote. Yeah. And I also, love to ask anybody listening to the podcast to vote for me for mayor on August third. If you don't live in Nashville, you're still listening. We can find you a realtor and get you here before August. <laughs> it's not a problem. But uh, and I would love to have people get involved in the campaign uh, and obviously would love to have that be your financial help. Not going to lie. I am not a millionaire. Uh, I did not have the capacity to put $2 million of my own money into the race. So I'm going to be doing this a lot more with people who are writing me 10, 15, $20 checks. So you can go online at jeffyarbro.com, Give one of those. And if I, I would love for you to do that and volunteer, but you can also just volunteer. Mm-hmm. Because uh, we need people who are going to go out, knock doors, host house parties, tell friends, and then share with us what your ideas and thoughts on the city are. Because that's really, at the end of the day, the national mayor's race is about having a decision-making process as a city about what matters to us and what kind of future we're going to choose. And hopefully that's a future we're going to choose together. Senator Yarbrough, appreciate your time. Thank you. Uh, good luck on the campaign. And you're welcome back anytime. I love it. Thanks. Uh